You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. Part of moving forward in in our relationship with God is growing, um, um, growing spiritually, growing in our knowledge of Him, growing in our understanding of Him and becoming more like him as we pursue him, okay? Um, and develop our relationship with him. And, and this, involves, this involves understanding of the gospel. The gospel is basically good news, okay? Um, there's that good news. We are all um, under the bondage of sin, and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves or others from our bondage to sin, and because of that, um, there's no hope. But the good news is that Jesus Christ, you know, God sent His one and only Son, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, and He became man so that He can suffer our suffering and He can pay the penalty of our sins. He could take our place, pay the penalty of our sins, and offer what He has done for us, you know, as a gift, as a, as a gift of eternal life. And... Um, we're, we need to have an understanding of, of the gospel. If we call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to have an understanding, a growing understanding, okay, uh, of the gospel, okay, and understanding its implications. Now, what is the gospel? Um, as I said this yesterday in our Making Disciples class, the gospel is very simple, easy to understand, Yet, it is so profound in its scope. It is so profound in its impact, not just in the lives of individuals, okay, but, but for the death. It, 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 it's so profound in its impact uh, in the destiny of humanity, okay? So, but we need to understand what this gospel is, and and Dr. Rice Brooks, one of the co-founders of Every Nation Churches and Ministries, this, this movement that we are a part of, um, basically uh, in, encapsulated uh, the gospel in a way that we can have an understanding of it. <clears throat> but we shouldn't stop there. We need to grow in our understanding of it. But this basically is a good basic definition to work with, okay? And the gospel, he, sa- he says this, the gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he is the Son of God and offering the gift of salvation to anyone who repents and believes in him. So Jesus, this is the good news. He took our place, he died our death, he paid our penalty, and he did that for all humanity. Not just for a select few. He did it for everyone. But it does not necessarily mean that all of us, all, all human beings will be automatically saved. It requires faith on us. You know, it requires us to do our part as well. He did his part. We have to do our part by coming to him in repentance and putting our faith in him. And when we do so, there's going to be a transformation in our lives. We're going to receive the old life and we are going to um, you know, we are no longer going to be part of that old life that we have. We're going to receive the new life in Christ. Or, 
what the Bible says, eternal life. Now, <clears throat> as we look at this, again, he, this is, he got this definition basically from his understanding of the entire scriptures from different places as we get a bigger picture of what the gospel is. So it's important that we read the Bible in order for us to know what the scriptures say about the good news. Okay? We can't just get one verse and camp on it and that's it. Okay, we have to see all that God is speaking, is speaking of in light of the entire scriptures. Okay? So this definition, if you want to read his, this, in his explanation on this, on, on this uh, get his book, um, God's Not Dead. He defined that there. Okay? So how many of you seen the movie God's Not Dead? You seen it? That was based on, basically that was a, uh, an idea um, that, went, that was in conjunction with the launching of his book, God's Not Dead. Okay, so get that book and read it, and um, you'll see his explanation there, how he got to this. But it's, it's basically getting all the ideas of what the scripture is saying and putting it in this capsule that we can comprehend and understand. Okay, so <clears throat> um, our main text Acts chapter 2, what we read a while ago, shows actually the Apostle Peter, um, his initial understanding of the gospel and its implications. Now remember, uh, during this time, it's Acts chapter 2, Peter just, um, it had been um, 40, 50 days since, 50 days since Jesus, um, since Jesus' passion, okay, since Jesus' uh, Death, crucifixion, death, and resurrection. Okay, so Jesus was, uh, was crucified during the Passover weekend. And then there was a celebration of the, of the Jews. They call it the Feast of Weeks that begins with Passover. And seven weeks, count seven weeks, or 49 days, um, 49 days. And on the 50th, 50th day, you will celebrate what they call the Feast of Pentecost. And that basically, so this Feast of Weeks, seven weeks, is bookended by the Passover and Pentecost. So Jesus said to them, uh, so for us to understand uh, the, the, the context of, of our passage, basically, Jesus uh, said to them, wait for the gift my Father has promised. Okay, and that was the, the promised Holy Spirit. And uh, here in Peter's, in, in that in the, in the few passages we read, Peter shows his understanding, his initial understanding of the gospel and its implications. And, and the main point, basically, of what I'm trying to say here today is this. Um, that a disciple's journey begins and continues on with a growing understanding of the gospel and its implications. Okay, What it means. So you're saying, wait a minute, are we, are, is, is the sermon done? Because you usually throw your main point at the end, so <laughs> don't worry, we can, we can throw the main point any, anywhere in the sermon, okay, so, but this is, uh, this is what I want, this is our, uh, this is the take home I want you to have, okay, so a disciple's journey, we move forward in our relationship with God, but it begins and continues on with a growing understanding of the gospel and what it means, what it entails, the implications in our lives, okay, so, and again, the context of this passage is we, it's the outpouring of the Spirit. So now, during the feast, after seven weeks, they were waiting. They were obeying Jesus' directive 
for them to wait for the gift that the Father has promised, the promised Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Jesus had ascended to heaven already. And so, so they were in the upper room. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> that must have been a big, big room because um, a lot of uh, biblical scholars believe that uh, there were 120 of them there. Okay, 120 of them. It's kind of like, it's probably this big of a room. You're a little smaller than this one. It's about, I think we have about 150 here. There were 120 disciples, you know, according to, according to a lot of um, biblical scholars there. And during this time, they were gathering together as a community, waiting, praying, and worshiping. And then suddenly, in Acts 2, they heard like the sound of a, mush, of a rushing mighty wind, you know, filled the place. And then they saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire, you know, that lighted upon each one of them. And all of a sudden, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them, it says there in Acts 2. So it was the Holy Spirit being poured out. That was the fulfillment. That was the day that, that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. Jesus said, wait for the gift my Father has promised, the promised Holy Spirit. Wait. Before you go, you wait. And now the day has come. The Spirit of God was poured out upon them, and they began to speak in tongues, different tongues. Uh, <clears throat> some people say that it was, uh, they spoke in, you know, like what they call glossolalia. In other words, they just spoke like this. They speak, spoke in tongues that way. But as we see in this, in, in this account, they spoke in tongues that they have, not, in, in, in a human tongue, other than their native tongue. They spoke it, but they have, those were, were languages that they've never spoken before. And then they went out praising God. You know, they were filled with the Spirit. They encountered the presence of God. We sang about that a while ago. You know, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Fill this place with, you know, um, and, and fill this place and, and fill the atmosphere, you know. So basically, they were filled to overflowing. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they came out of that upper room praising God out, you know, and in, in full view of the people. Now, remember, it was the Feast of uh, Pentecost during that time. And the Feast of Pentecost, Jews from all over the known world outside of Jerusalem make that pilgrimage to Jerusalem because it's required. For, you know, it's part of their heritage. They go and make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem during the day of Pentecost to celebrate God's goodness to them. Um, celebrate the harvest and also to celebrate basically the establishment of the nation of Israel. When, when Moses, when, when God, you know, um, instituted the first Passover when he delivered the Israelites out of Egypt and then they were celebrating, uh, seven weeks after that, they were celebrating the, the establishment of the nation by the giving of the law into the land to, to make them. Um, of God's nation. So they were celebrating that. So they, people from all over the world, the Jews from all over the world, would congregate during the Feast of Pentecost. Now they were from all over the known world. So these were Jews, but they spoke the languages and the tongues of the places where they were living. Some of them were Parthians. And so most of these people were actually from, um, from Asia Minor, which is what we now know as modern-day Turkey, okay? So, but a lot of them were speaking different languages there, and they were in the um, outside, and then the disciples came out of that room 
praising God in their, in, in, in the, in their, with their tongues. And then the people were like, what's going on here? And these are not people who came with us. These are Galileans, just by the look of them. Right? You know, so, um, and they could tell these were not uh, from, uh, from outside of Jerusalem. Uh, they were from Judea. They were from, uh, from they were, these were Galileans. Then how come they, they are speaking our languages? How come we can understand them? And then it bewildered them. They thought, what's going on here? And it was, it was amazing for them, and, but they couldn't understand. So they assumed, they thought that, you know, they're probably just drunk. You know, they, they're saying, these people, they're probably drunk. I mean, how can they speak our languages? But Peter said, we are not drunk as you suppose. Peter said, it's only nine in the morning. <laughs> Some people are still drunk from the, from the evening after, before, so... But he said, we are not drunk, as you suppose. But what you see in here right now is actually the fulfillment of what our scriptures have been saying. Now remember, during this time, there was no New Testament yet. Their scriptures were what we now call the Old Testament. Okay? So they refer to the, the law and the prophets. So that speaks of, you know, basically the Torah. The entire law and the words, the words of God in what we now know as the Old Testament. Our scriptures have promised this. And he quotes from, uh, from Joel. Okay? He basically, um, and then Peter basically preached a sermon, his first ever sermon. And uh, how many of you, like I'm a preacher, I remember my first sermon. And I can tell you right now, I was so nervous. I, I, I believe that my, in my first sermon, I bombed. You know, and some of you are saying, "What do you mean, Pastor Neil? You always, you always bomb." <laughs> so, anyway, so um, but here, Peter's first message, first sermon, it was not scripted, not like what I have. He doesn't have a, he doesn't have a, a keynote presentation. He doesn't, he didn't have a. He didn't have his notes that he, he that was well prepared. No, it he he spoke the word of God as the Spirit enabled him, and it was an extemporaneous thing, no preparation whatsoever. Spirit of God was upon him, anointed him, and guess what? After his sermon, three thousand were added to the church that day. Three thousand got saved and were baptized, and the church was born. What a powerful sermon, and it's recorded in here. <clears throat> so basically, his sermon is comprised of two parts. First, he spoke of scriptural truths concerning the Pentecost experience, concerning the outpouring of the Spirit. And then the second part of his sermon was, you know, he spoke of scriptural proof of the Messiahship of this man called Jesus, whom the Jews crucified. So let's look at the first one. So here, he spoke of, he, you know, he, in the book of Joel, he spoke of, he drew from, from, this, from the Old Testament. This is what our scriptures say. And then he said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit in all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men will, shall dream dreams. 
Even in my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And that's what they were doing. They were prophesying. They were declaring the, the goodness of God, the praises of God, but in the, in the languages of the people around them. And it was a, it's, this is what we call the gift, of, you know, the gift of languages, the gift of tongues. They were able to speak languages that they have never learned previously. And they were declaring the praises of God. You see, that is a spiritual gift. So... And then here, he connects it. Remember, Jesus said, before you go and proclaim my message, wait for the gift my Father promised. Because Jesus said, you know, um, you, know I will pour, um, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, up, comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You know, you will be the ones declaring my message, empowered by the Spirit, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, in all the ends of the earth. You will proclaim this message in the power of the Spirit. So wait for the Spirit. Don't just go ahead with my message. Wait for, for the Spirit to empower you. And so here now, they're empowered. And then he connects, he connects the Holy Spirit that was promised in Scripture to the promised Messiah. Okay? To the promised Messiah. And here, from verses 22 onwards, he basically... Um, <clears throat> he basically spoke of Jesus as the, as the promised Messiah. And then he referred to several verses. He referred to the book of Psalms. And he, you know, under the guidance and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, he spoke God's word. Okay? And here in the verse, in the passage we read, in verse 36, in verse 36, this, and 36 to verse 41 <clears throat> this basically is the climax of his message, okay, the climax of his sermon. And um, this climax ended with an invitation and, as we've seen, a response from the people. The gospel that is to be proclaimed necessitates a response from people. Not everybody will respond to it. But it is important that we proclaim it that they may hear. Okay? So, let's look at each one, each of these verses. And it says here, Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God... So after he after he's uh, spoken of, he referred to um, uh, some scriptures about Jesus as the promised Messiah. He said, now, therefore, let all Israel know this for certain, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That is an interesting statement right there. And as he spoke this, we see here there was an inference indicated by the word therefore. And um, here are a few instances in his sermon. Let's look at some, of this, some parts of his sermon. Um, that's why he said therefore. So whenever you see, see the word therefore, you need to know why it's there for. Okay? All right? <laughs> so this means it's, it infers to, uh, to previous statements he made. And this is a conclusion that he is drawing. So let's look at some, uh, some of these. Verse 22. So in it, this is, these are part of his sermon. 
Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. Remember, you know, he made ways because he was he, because of the miracles. Uh, you know, so he made the news. Okay. Um, and I'm, I don't know if they were dealing with fake news during that time, but, but they heard the news of Jesus, this miracle worker who was crucified, who died a criminal's death. And he said, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. According to the plan of God, everything that has happened to him is part of the plan of God as, predict, as, as uh, prophesied in Scripture. And then he said, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Think about it. You put yourselves in the shoes or in the sandals of those Jews. You thought he was just an ordinary criminal who was, just, you know, a miracle worker, but in the end he died, and there are rumors of him rising from the dead. People are talking about that, but that's maybe, that maybe is fake news, you're thinking. But then here, here's one who was an eyewitness. Then you see, you're already wondering about, why are you able to speak my language? You got my attention now. So, and now Peter took the opportunity to speak his message. And then he said, you, Peter said, you crucified this man who was from God. But I tell you what, here's the thing. You crucified him, God raised him from the dead. Can you imagine? You try to kill someone, you think you're, 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 that's done. And then to your horror, you see that person you killed. Alive and well. How many of you know it's not gonna, it's not gonna go well with you, right? You're guilty. Oh no, I'm guilty. So here, you crucified him, but God raised him up, losing the pangs of death, because it, it was not possible for him to be held by it. Death could not hold him. Okay. So, yeah, I'd like to invite you. You can take your seat if you like. Oh no, I don't want you to stand there the whole the whole time. <clears throat> Thank you. There you go. All right. Aren't those more comfortable? <laughs> there you go. So, <clears throat> now, you see, death could not hold Jesus down. He died, but he did not remain dead because God raised him from the dead. Put yourselves in the shoes of these Jews hearing this. Yeah, yeah, we kind of agree that, yeah, he was probably a, a lunatic or probably a liar. They pro some of them probably were. I'm just speculating. Maybe some of them were part of that crowd during the Passover who shouted, crucify him. I don't know. But Peter was basically speaking not just of the crowd in front of the Pharisees and in, in front of um, Pontius Pilate during that time. But he spoke of the whole population. He said, you crucified and killed. God raised him from the dead, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. And here, see, this Jesus is alive. He says, this Jesus, God raised up, 
And of that, we are all witnesses. You know, we've seen it. We've seen it. And some, 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 of, you, some of them would probably uh, not believe really now, you know, but, but he was a miracle worker. And now these people are doing a, a you know, they're performing a sign. So there was something there that, that caught their attention. And the power of God demonstrated was actually, actually prepared their hearts for the proclamation of the gospel. You see, we are, if we are the church, we are part of the church, we are part of God's mission. Our mission is, you know, to proclaim the kingdom, the good news of, the, of Jesus and his kingdom. And, the, you know, we need to proclaim, we need to demonstrate and proclaim the kingdom of God. Demonstrate its power and proclaim its message. Peter is saying, we are all witnesses here. We know him. We've seen him. We have seen him. How many of you know you can dispute um, certain things, but you cannot refute a testimony. You cannot refute an experience. And Peter was saying, I don't care what you think. I experienced it. We saw him. Okay? I'm not asking you to vote and if you will agree with me or not. I don't care. I know what I saw. I know him. I saw him. He's alive forevermore. And that's why they were willing to give their lives because, see, they finally understood. Peter and the disciples finally understood who Jesus was or who Jesus is. And they were willing to lay down their lives because death is not going to hold them down. You see, here's the thing. When you know the truth, you don't have to defend yourself. Right? You don't have to memorize all the details because it's the truth. If you're lying, then you're, you're pressured to memorize all the details. And let me tell you this. No one can sustain a lie for a long time. Okay? And so here, uh, <clears throat> and in verse 36, let's go back to our main verse, our main passage here. <clears throat> verse 36. Okay? Um, we see here Peter saying, God now, this Jesus whom you crucified, whom God has sent, and now you crucified, but God raised from the dead, and he's alive forevermore, guess what? God has made him both Lord and Christ. You see, these were terms that the Jews readily connected with. They readily understood these terms. They've called the Lord, you know, God as their Lord. As Lord here is in the Greek here, used here, is kurios, okay, or kyrios, which means supreme ruler. And in this context, this word means, in the mindset of the Jews, it is it, the supreme ruler of all creation, of all the universe. Supreme ruler. Okay? Lord. In Latin, it's kyrie. That's where Kyrie Irving gets his name. Okay? I'm a, I kid you not. It's from the Kyrie, from Kurios. Okay? And then the term Christ, the Christ, Christos is the Greek used here. But Christos is the Greek word for, I'm not, I don't know how to say it in, in Hebrew, but the English translation of that Hebrew word is Messiah. 
I think it's Masyak. I'm not, I, I don't want to. You read it. <laughs> but the English translation is Messiah. So when Peter said, this man who was raised from the dead, this miracle worker, okay, he's Lord. Wait a minute. Supreme ruler of all creation. The only ruler of creation is the one who created everything. And that's God. Correct. God, this Jesus, God made him both Lord and Christ. Now remember, he was communicating to the Jews from all over. This Jesus, you see, he is Lord and he is the Messiah. And you killed him. Kind of like a little guilt trip there. You crucified him. And he ended his sermon with that. Man, talk about ending a sermon with, with a dagger. <laughs> the word, you know, Christ means anointed one or the Messiah. And he ended his sermon with that. And, and he probably paused. I'm not sure, just my, just my imagination. He probably dropped the mic. And the people were like, look at their response, verse 37. Now when they heard this, everything that Peter said and his conclusion, their eyes were opened. And they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. They encountered the truth. And they realized they were not in the truth. They realized that the truth personified was someone whom they crucified. And they were cut to the heart. And they felt the guilt of it. They felt the weight and the guilt of, the shame, of, of sin. And he and said to Peter and the rest Brothers, what shall we do? Now this is a question by someone who really wants to know what they need to do. It's not just, it's not a sarcastic, well, what shall we do? They were genuine. They, they were cut to the heart and they wanted to know what's next. To be cut to the heart means to be convicted. So they were convicted of their sins. And you see, the preaching of the, the truth, the preaching of the gospel will cut to your heart. It will cut through all the veneers, all, all the, um, the illusions, all the lies. It will cut through it will discern, you know, um, all your thoughts and it will reveal the truth because the Word of God is the truth. It will convict you. That's why some of you who have experienced, how many of you experienced that? You've, you know, uh, you've, you've heard God's Word being spoken, being preached, or when you're reading it, and it cut you to the heart and, Lord, I'm convicted. And then, it, it, and then you had a, a, an appropriate response. How many of you experienced that? You've been, you've been cut to the heart by God's word. Have you experienced that? And maybe some of you have experienced that, but you're not responding. You're, not say, you're saying, I, 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 I want to put this off. You don't want to respond. But you're being cut to the heart all the more. Okay? The Jews were convicted because they, you know, they now see the truth about Jesus. 
that he is indeed the Messiah. And if he's alive forevermore, wow. And we've crucified him. What are we going to do? Conviction is brought about by the preaching of the gospel, by the preaching of God's word. So if you're feeling convicted today or at, at some point when the word of God is preached, you know why? That tells you something. The Bible says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates the dividing soul and spirit, okay? bones and marrow. It cuts through the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It reveals and exposes what's in your heart because God's word is true. And see, conviction from the Holy Spirit. Look at this. When you're convicted, when you're convicted by the Holy Spirit, it will always lead to what we're going to talk about next. It, it always leads to these few things and e even more. Okay, but Peter outlined it. He answered this question. What are we going to do? So Peter answered their, their question. Verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here now, the gospel is proclaimed. The Spirit has convicted the people because the gospel is truth. Truth brings conviction. The Holy Spirit convicts according to the truth. And now it necessitates a, a, a response. So here... Their hearing of the gospel necessitated a response. What shall we do? And here, here are the implications of the gospel, at least for this, for this time. This is not a, you know, a, a, an exhaustive list of all the implications, but this is what we begin with. Like I said, Peter had an initial understanding of the gospel and its implications, and he grew in that understanding as he continued to follow Jesus. Same way we will grow in our understanding as we continue to follow God. Amen? So here, we see um, two sets of implications. First is, uh, <clears throat> the first set, okay, is the response, the, uh, the response implications. Second, okay, second is the benefit implications. So here we see one set, the implication is you need to respond. And if you respond, Another implication, when you respond, is that you will receive some benefits. You will receive ben the benefits, you know, of the gospel if you respond appropriately. Okay? How many of us have responded to the gospel? I mean, really, ask yourself, have you been cut to the heart? Have you responded to the gospel? So here, <clears throat> let's look at this. The, the two response implications are these words. Okay, highlight by these words. Repent and be baptized. These are things you are supposed to do. Repent means, uh, you know, to turn away from your sins and turn to God. Repentance is not just stopping where you're going. See, you're going in a different direction, in this direction, towards sin. And when you stop, that's not repentance. You just stop, but you're still facing this direction. Repentance is this. I stop and I change my mind and I change my heart about this thing, and I turn around. I turn away from sin, and I turn to God. So repentance here 
metanoia is a change of mind and a change of heart that leads to a change of life and a change of direction. A change of loyalties, a change, transformation. Repentance. You have to make that, you may have to turn away. You're the one who's going to turn away. God will not impose that on you. God will not make that decision for you. You have to make that decision. You have to stop, turn away, change your mind. I don't want this anymore. And change your direction and turn to God. And then, it says here, be baptized. To be baptized, the word baptizo means to be immersed. And this was a command of Jesus. Go into all the world and, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So baptism is one of, um, is, is, a, is an institution, it's, it's a sacrament, uh, the, as the church calls it. Okay, it's a sacrament that, that, that basically identifies with your repentance. And, <clears throat> but this verse here is, it, it, it has encountered its share of controversy because of how it was worded and how it was spoken of. Now, some people use this verse to justify that for you to be saved, you need to repent and be baptized. And if you don't get baptized, you don't get saved. Because, and they say, you know why I say that? Read it. That's what they say. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. What does that mean? Okay, now here's, I'm going to tell you something. Those who use that as an argument, they're basing their theology from an English translation of this text. And sometimes when you translate thoughts, nuances of words, they get lost in translation. Right? <clears throat> now we have a Filipino word, a Tagalog word. Now for those of you who are non-Filipinos, you'll understand this. But for the Filipinos, we have a Tagalog word. We have words that we don't use. There is no English translation. <clears throat> right? Maybe there are some that is close or transliteration of it, but it's not the exact, you know, exact, uh, exact translation. Okay, we always use this word, those of you who speak Tagalog, we use this word, kulit. What does kulit mean? I mean, what is the English word for kulit? Annoying, what else? Naughty, what else? Persistent, what else? Joseph. <laughs> what else? <clears throat> Silly. What else? Some people say funny. Right? You see, what we're doing is we're trying to describe this word in English because it ha does not have an exact translation. Right? And so here, <clears throat> this, remember, the New Testament was, was written in Greek. So here, repent, and then when you repent, actually, you will receive this benefit of forgiveness of your sins. But does baptism result in your forgiveness of sins? So here is the thing. This is the, the key word here, this word for. 
Okay. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's three letters in the English transliteration of the of the Greek. It's E I S. It's Ace, I guess. Ace. I don't know. But the word Ace can mean four, like that word. But the Greek word Ace can also mean other things. <clears throat> Let me give you another example. <clears throat> How many of you know when you when you're not a non-Filipino and you see this see this word, it's a Tagalog word. It's B A B A. Read it. Okay. What does Baba mean? Go down. Okay, or sometimes you say it differently, Baba, it means chin. Right? I remember the story. Somebody <clears throat> in, in New York, <clears throat> you know, there's in this apartment, they're going down the elevator. And then there's this Filipino who was there. And then there's this, uh, there's this non-Filipino who was there also in the elevator. And they didn't know each other. And then at one floor, it stopped, it opened, and then there's another Filipino who came in. And then he was confused if, if uh, the elevator was going up or down. And, so, and he saw the Filipino inside the elevator. He goes, Baba Baba. And then the, the, other, the guy in the elevator goes, Baba Baba. And then he walked in. And so... The two non-Filipinos were like, did you understand that? <laughs> no, I only, all I heard was ba 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 <laughs> You get what I'm saying here? <clears throat> one word can mean a lot of things. In Chinese, one word can mean different things depending on how you say them, on your intonation. You can say this word, say it, it's a nice word, but say it differently with different tone, you can get beaten up. You get what I'm saying? So here... The word for in the Greek also means, and it is used in this case, this is the definition used in this case, on the basis of or because of. Let's read it then. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, on the basis of the forgiveness of your sins. So your baptism is an expression of the benefit that you've received, which is forgiveness, because you repented. Jesus was crucified. There, there were two robbers here. One was mocking him, and the other was saying to the other, Shut up! Don't you have any fear of God? And then he goes, Jesus, don't forget me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, believe me, this very day you will be with me in paradise. You will be with me. What do you think of that robber? Was that robber? Did Jesus save that robber? He did. But wait a minute, he didn't get baptized. Foul! Technical! <clears throat> that guy is in paradise. Are we here this morning? So we need to understand this, okay? So <clears throat> baptism is not a prerequisite for salvation. But it is an expression of your salvation that you already received. It is an expression of what you already have. Does that make sense? So here, but it is something that Jesus wants because baptism is an, it, it, it's, it's important because it causes you to identify, to leave no longer identify with, the, with your former way of life, with the world, and now 
the, the act of being baptized is saying to yourself, I am now identifying with Christ and his kingdom. I am no longer a child. I'm no longer you know, a child of the world. I am a child of God. And from this day forth, I will live as a child of God because he saved me. Baptism is spoken of in many ways in the Bible. But baptism basically is a public declaration of your allegiance to Jesus. It's a public declaration of the internal faith that you already embrace. It's declaring to everybody, declaring to the heavens, declaring to the evil forces, declaring to the world, and declaring to the church of God that I am embracing. I am one with you in baptism. I have one Lord. We have one Lord, one baptism, one spirit. I am one with you. I am part of this community called the kingdom of God, called the church. And it's a declaration. How many of you became naturalized American citizens? You were not born, but you became American citizens. Remember that oath-taking that you... Remember that? That was public. That was your declaration of your allegiance to this nation. It has to be public. And that's what baptism speaks of. <clears throat> okay? So as we're about to land this thing, you see here, repent and be baptized. These are response implications. Question, have you faced these implications? Have you responded well? Have you repented? And have you been baptized? Remember, Jesus commanded them, make disciples and baptize those who will believe. Baptize them. I don't believe in baptism. Well, <clears throat> then, you don't, then you're saying you're not identifying with Christ. And if you're not for him, you finish that sentence. For the forgiveness of your sins. And here, the, the second set of implications are what I call the benefit implications. What are those benefits? As you respond, as you partake of these implications of response you will have, you will receive benefits as an implication. See, so you will receive forgiveness of your sins. It's pre predicated on, the, uh, on, on this one, okay? So the main thing here is repentance. So forgiveness of your sins, that's the first benefit. And then here, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the indwelling presence of God. When you become a believer, when you, put your, when you repent and you put your faith in Him and you begin to be, live in obedience to Him by His grace, He makes you, He regenerates your spirit that is dead because of sin. The Bible calls this regeneration the new birth. And Jesus said this, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And, he, you know, and Nicodemus said, how can a man be born twice? Can he, a grown man, go into his mother's womb and be born again? That's, Nicodemus was understanding things from a natural perspective. Jesus said, no. Okay? He said, you have to be born of the Spirit. In other words, to be born again means to be, you're dead because of sin. 
And can dead people do anything? They can't. The Holy Spirit regenerates your dead spirit, regenerates you, gives you life, His life, and He indwells you. His Spirit lives in you. And you're alive. We sang that a while ago. I'm alive. I'm changed. I'm different. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me through His Spirit. And guess what? Who is the Holy Spirit? He is the third person of the Godhead. He is the third. He is God Himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And He dwells in you. I mean, just a thought of that. God Himself is in you. Is with you. He indwells the believers. And that's why our lives change. It's not because of our decision. It's not because of what we do. It's the, it's, it's the Holy Spirit in us transforming us into the character of Jesus Christ. Come on now. I mean, just think about that. The, the creator, the, the, how can he fit in? He is God. Nothing is impossible with him. But we experience and we, his, his presence is upon us. The Bible t- calls us Believers, individually and corporately as a church, we are called the temple of God. Where His Spirit dwells. Think about that. God is in you. If you don't call that a benefit, I don't know what you're thinking of. Can you imagine? That's why Paul said, and Stephen Curry always quotes Paul. He says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Nothing is impossible with God. His grace is sufficient for us. We may be having challenges, but you know, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Are you meditating on these truths? But what do we do? Many times we don't understand that God is with us and so we're believers and He saved us and we still insist on doing our old life. We still insist on our passions. We still, you know, we, don't, we hide it from our victory group leaders. In, on Sunday we go, oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord, glory to God, brother. Come on, can I pray for you? Yes, let's pray, let's pray, hallelujah. But on your own. You live like how you used to live. Now, do you think God doesn't see that? But you see, if you understand, I mean, just, I don't, this should blow your mind away. God Himself indwells the believer. Verse 39, as we bring this to a close. Verse 39 in the Amplified Bible, it says there, For the promise of the Holy Spirit is to and for you and your children, to and for all that are far away, even to and for as many as the Lord our God invites and bids to come to Himself. This is open to anyone who will put their faith in Him. He will not just save you. He will indwell you. And together, when we come together, we are the living stones. We are, you know, together, when we come together in unity, we are, you know, God is building a temple 
that he dwells in. That's why when, they, when, when we come together, God's here with us. And he manifests his glory. And the picture of the temple and God manifesting his glory and power is the tabernacle. Look at the tabernacle and look at Solomon's temple. God was manifesting in those physical buildings. Well, guess what? The temple today is no longer situated or fixated on a, on a geographic location. It is now the people of God where his spirit dwells and he manifests his power and his glory, his presence. Amen? In summary, understanding the gospel means that the believer demonstrates a growing knowledge of the gospel and the implication of what we believe on how we live. So growing understanding means, you know, we don't understand everything, but we grow in it. We learn more as we pursue Him. And secondly, implications. Okay? What we're learning and what we're believing is actually having an effect on how we live our lives. That's why those who genuinely encounter Jesus Christ, put their faith in Him, their lives have changed. They are a new creation. Jesus, the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Amen? Again, going back to our main point. A disciple's journey begins and continues on with a growing understanding of the gospel and its implications. This is when you move forward with Jesus, you will grow in your relationship with him, in your knowledge of him, in this understanding of the gospel and all of its implications in your life. Isn't this amazing? Let's all stand right now. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this journey that we're on. Lord, thank you that salvation is just the beginning. It's not the end. When, what, when a person gets saved from their sins, they receive the gift of eternal life. They receive salvation by faith in Christ and what He has done. It is just the beginning. There's so much more that you want to reveal to us. There's so much more that you have in store for us. But many of us miss it because we think salvation is the end game. Okay, now that I'm saved, you know, God's not going to, the Bible says no one can snatch us away from his hand. So no matter what I do, I'm still saved. So it doesn't matter if I obey God or not, I am already saved. Lord, that is a, that is, that reveals a lack of or the absence of an understanding of what grace is, what salvation is. But Lord, realizing what you've done for us, and just by you saving us, Lord, that's already enough for us Lord, to give our lives to you and live our lives for you. But there is more. Salvation is just the beginning. You want to conform us to your image. You want us to know, you want us to know you more. You want us to see you for who you are more and more. And as we behold you, Lord, you transform us and you transform us to become more like you. That we bear your image, that we reflect your image.
that we reveal you to the world and that your presence, oh Lord, I mean, there's nothing in this world that can compare with your presence. And, and you've made me your temple. You've made us your temple. And you dwell in us. Lord, I pray that as we see the implications of the gospel and as we grow in our knowledge of, and our understanding of all the implications, Lord, what we've discussed, this is just the surface. There's so much more. There are so many more implications that are for for our benefit <clears throat> but Lord I pray that you would help us respond to the gospel that you would help us respond to the call of Jesus Christ that he gave his life for us the son of God the second person of the Godhead became man <clears throat> and he gave his life for us by dying on that cross so that those who would put their faith in him in what he has done you could save <clears throat> Lord, many people justify their actions, but they know deep down in their hearts they need to respond. They need to repent. Maybe some of you are here today. You're asking, you're like those Jews saying, you're cut to the heart now, and you're asking, what shall I do? What must I do? And that is a, a genuine question. First, repent of your sin. Repent of your independence from God. Turn away from sin and turn to God. And let Him give you His life, His eternal life that He promises. Let Him give you His Spirit. As you do so, you know, bathe in, the, in His grace and in His forgiveness. There's nothing like being forgiven. Knowing that the weight of the shame and the guilt is taken away and you're forgiven. There's nothing like it. Don't resist the call of God. Don't resist when Jesus is inviting you. Today, people are, Jesus is inviting some of you here today to take that step. Repent and believe. And obey. There's so much more. It's, you see, it's not what you're losing. It's what you're gaining. And what you're losing compared to what you're gaining what you're losing is nothing compared to what Jesus is giving you. Why would you resist that? If that's you today, I'd like to ask some of our Victory Group leaders, please stand there right in the, back, in the gap right now. <clears throat> some, of, some of the campus missionaries, um, you know, maybe, maybe Emin, could you, you could just stand there. I, I, I want you. You're asking that question, what should I do? Well, you know what to do. But these people are here to guide you. Just as Peter guided them. Here's what you need to do. They will tell you the steps they have taken when they were faced with this decision. Let's all bow our heads right now. To the victory group leaders, could you face that way please so that they'll identify you. <clears throat> and if you're here today and you need to respond to the call of Jesus, you know you're cut to the heart right now. And you're asking, what must I do? That means this is your opportune time. God has ordained this time for you to hear this word. And He's touching your heart already. Don't resist that. Respond. In the day when you hear, today is the day of salvation. When you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. And if that's you, you may have other questions, but you know this is what you need to do. Here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to approach any one of these people, okay? Now, can you all bow our heads right now? And if, I just want to know, if that's you, would you just lift up your hand? Nobody's looking. So I need to respond to Jesus right now. I need to give my life to the Lord. My, I'm cut to the heart. I don't know what to do. But I'm hearing that I can be forgiven. That God can dwell in my life. That God can change me and transform me. That He can give me a new life. I want all of that. If that's you, would you just respond and come and approach one of these people right now? As we end, okay? So we're going to pray. And say, Lord, I pray for these people right now who need to respond to you. Lord, whatever justification they may have in their minds and in their hearts, or whatever thing they're struggling with, but Lord, it's hard to leave that life. Or it's hard to leave. If I leave, if I turn to you, that means I have to leave this life. You see, Jesus will, you know, it's not, He's going to give you the wisdom to navigate through that choice. But this is going to be the greatest decision of your life if you've never made it yet. So I want you, I want you to repent and respond. And these people can help you take the next steps. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we pray with these people who need to respond today. And we ask that you would continue to soften their hearts. And Lord, help them to see it's not what they're losing, it's what they're gaining. Lord, your presence, your love, your forgiveness, all of those, they can, they can bask in those things. Lord, I pray that you would remove every fear in their hearts. And, let, and, and, and right now, I pray that you would flood their hearts with your love. It was your love, Lord, that, that caused you to die on that cross. You willingly died on that cross because you love us and you don't want us to perish. So I pray that these people here would see that and that they would respond. Father, let your grace be upon each one as they respond today. And Lord, I pray for everyone here. I pray for your blessing. I pray that we would move forward with you as we pursue you. Lord, I pray that we would grow in our knowledge of you and of our understanding of the gospel that we have received. And Lord, open our eyes to see greater and greater aspects of this gospel. It is a simple truth, but it's such a profound truth that it impacts all of life and all of eternity. It's not, it's going to take an eternity to even just scratch the surface of grasping the magnitude of what you've done for us. But Lord, we thank you that we're able to enjoy it in your presence today. So I pray for your people. Let your blessing and your presence be upon them as we dismiss. And I pray for those who need to respond, that they would indeed respond by your grace. Lord, we lift up to you this service, this weekend, and this coming week. Bless this week. And may your name be glorified in and through your people. All these we pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior.